Welcome to Compare to Who, the podcast to help you stop comparing and start living. I'm your host, Heather Creekmore. I hate to admit this, but I used to secretly obsess over my appearance. I thought it was part of my job as a woman to always look better, but never felt like I could be good enough. Maybe you can relate. God, in His grace, showed me a way out, and I want to give you all the tools you need to break free too. If you've ever spent too much time stressing over your looks, I get it. I hope you'll keep listening and find the same freedom I have. Here are three other things you should know about me. I'm a minivan driving mom of four. I'm author of the book Compared to Who and The Burden of Better. I'm a blogger at ComparedToWho.me, and you just may have seen my epic big fail on Netflix. If you've ever struggled with comparison or body image issues, Compared to Who is the show for you. I hope you enjoy today's episode, and hey, tell a friend about it. Hey there, welcome to the Compared to Who show. I'm Heather Creekmore, and I'm so glad you are listening today. Today is going to be an amazing conversation with my friends, Charlie Castle and Aaron Todd. Let me tell you just a smidge about them because we're going to get right to work today. Charlie is a registered dietitian. She's an exercise physiologist. She's a mom and she's been helping women get healthy with their relationship with food. And Erin Todd is also on the same mission. She's a lawyer by day and a food freedom warrior by night. How do you like that description, Erin? But Erin <laughs> and Charlie host a podcast called Intuitive Eating for Christian Women. And let me tell you why they're here today. So we have gone through, I guess it's, we're working on almost three months worth of episodes talking to dietitians and my friend, Aaron, who's an integrative nutrition coach, but talking to people about food things, because I feel strongly that our body image issues are only cured to the extent that which we can cure, I don't know, cure is probably not the best word, but heal, maybe that's a better word, heal our relationship with food. In fact, I got a message the other day and actually it was a Facebook comment and someone said, your podcast and book led me to heal my relationship with my body. And listen to this part. It said, and intuitive eating was the only way to make it all work. Now, several years later, I'm in such a better place mentally. The work is hard, but so worth it. As I've been doing this journey with these dietitians, I'm learning so much, you guys, but all roads seem to lead to intuitive eating. And that's why I invited Aaron and Charlie on today to help me process everything we've learned through the filter of intuitive eating how do I do this? Like, how do like, I'm hearing Stephanie Reinhold, Dr. Reinhold tell me that I should let my kids eat all the candy and I should eat all the candy, but what? Like that can't be right. So today, Charlie and Aaron are going to help us. We're just going to go boom, boom, boom through these episodes, highlight what was said and kind of talk about, okay, how do we practically do this? So Charlie and Aaron, thank you for being on the show today. We're Thanks so grateful to be here. So can we just get right into it? Is that cool? Let's okay. do it. So episode one. Now, this was with my friend, Erin Carey, who's not a dietitian. She's an integrative nutrition coach. But I feel like the topic we discussed here was one that almost blew my mind when I saw it on Instagram. And I've seen several of the Christian RDs that I follow posting similar things just recently. Like 1,200 calories a day is not okay. 1500 calories a day is probably 
not okay. Mm-hmm. What? Like that has blown someone's mind listening today. Yeah. Why not? Why is that not okay? Well, that is a very, very, very low amount of calories for the average person. So like, let me tell you, I work in long-term care. So I work at a nursing facility and I do all kinds of all these fancy calculations to figure out how many cat to guess, right? How many calories someone might need to maintain their weight. And sometimes I'm working with these very teeny, tiny, very low weight, little old ladies, and it's still usually higher than 1500 calories a day. And they don't do anything all day. Wow. So just think about that. And everybody's body is different, what they need. And it changes day to day. That might blow your mind. You don't need the same amount of calories every single day. You do different things every day. Your body's doing different things every day. You need more calories when it's that time of the month. Just so many things. So 1500 is super low. 1200 is like terrifying to me low. Yeah. And yet... I think I probably went through college trying to be at 1200 calories a day. I don't know. Aaron, were you the same? Yeah. I had a, a phase in high school and college where that was my number. Yeah. I, I think because I wanted to weigh 120 pounds. And so what you did was you took the number of calories and you lopped off a zero and that was going to be your weight. I don't know where oh, I got that from, sure. but that was truth. I mean, like, like still to this day, like if you ask before the series, if you asked me how you figured out your caloric number, I probably would have given you that mathematical formula. Right. But I, I was reading something last night and it was talking about, it was some completely like totally off topic from, from food and diet stuff. Right. It was a business, like meet your business goals kind of book, but it was talking about how there's so many lies that because they've been accepted generation after generation, they've almost become truth. And I feel like that's so true with this. I mean, I, I would have testified in a court of law. (laughs) That's how you figured out your calorie count. Right. But it's, it's just made up. So I I think that's, I don't know, that might be scary to someone listening today. What, What do you do if you've been living by that as your rule. You eat. (laughs) Is it really that simple, Erin? There's a little nuance there, but I think the thing um, that really jumped out with the interview with Erin Carey that you did, Heather, was that amount of restriction is so traumatic to your body. It's that you are in the fight or flight response that you guys talked about a lot. And it's your body's thinking you're in a famine. So that's not good. And your body's trying to keep you alive. And this is something that I learned both through reading the intuitive eating book and through the health at every size book. They, they really unpack the regulation that your body does on its own without you messing with it. That if you're eating that little, it is going to hold on to every single little calorie mm-hmm. because it wants you to live right. and you're trying to starve it and it's right. just trying to function and keep you alive. Yeah. And I think you kind of get buzzed though too, right? Because isn't there some science involved with your adrenal system when your body thinks it's starving, your adrenal system has to work harder, right? And that's why we eventually get to a place where we've got cortisol bellies, right? Because the cortisol has kept producing and never stopped. 
but the adrenal system is working so hard. You feel good. And you think it's because you're starving yourself, like because you're skinny. I mean, this is a really horrible thing to confess, but I know someone else has felt this stomach bugs. Like I can get, I can get buzzed off a stomach bug, right? Because my stomach is empty. Ooh, I like that feeling, you know, and it can trigger me into, okay, well, how can I starve myself? Right. So I can get that buzz other times when I'm not sick in bed. So, I mean, there's science there, right? Charlie, what's going on? Yeah. And I think there's a buzz until there's not Heather. Okay. Flesh that out. So when you're first restricting, you might be feeling euphoric um, for so, for so many reasons, right? Cause you're like actually doing it. Um, Cause you're getting that, that feeling of feeling empty, which doesn't that just make you sad that mm-hmm. we like crave this feeling of feeling empty. Absolutely. So, so that's happening. And yes, your adrenal system is, is revving up. And like Aaron was talking about your, your body is, is starving. It is starting to starve. And so what it's going to do is send you all these messages to eat. Mm. Please eat. Your body is begging you to eat and it's going to hold on to every calorie that it can. And this is where a lot of people um, start to feel like they're addicted to food or Mm. that they're emotionally eating because eating feels out of control Mm. because their biology is telling them to eat. And so often people will restrict, binge, restrict, binge, right? Right. Now, if the binge isn't happening, okay, say you're severely restricting really disordered eating or possibly, you know, something that could be a diagnosable eating disorder and your body truly is in a state of being very underfed, you will get euphoria, you will have moments of feeling really, really good. Your body does, you're like, God created us in such amazing ways. Your body does that to protect you Mm -hmm. from the pain of not having enough food, all of those kinds of things. So it's really, you know, our God just designed us in such a loving, beautiful, caring way. And when we when we don't consider that and we look at our bodies through the lens of our culture, they seem very broken and very wrong and very frustrating. Mm-hmm. But when we look at them biblically, that a good God created us to survive, to mm-hmm. thrive, to feel good, you see all these beautiful, beautiful systems in place to keep us alive. Yeah. That's so good. That's so good. Okay. So, but then we have to make that transition to the person listening today and saying, I'm not starving myself. Mm-hmm. I'm not restricting. I have a problem with food. I weigh too much. The doctor's mm-hmm. telling me I weigh too much. And I had a great conversation with Amy Carlson about this. Mm-hmm. She's amazing. She's so much fun. And it was such a fun conversation. Hopefully everyone's already listened to that conversation. If you haven't, it's that's worth listening to. Go back and listen to that again. I think they're all worth listening to, but that was an especially fun one for me. But Charlie, Aaron, like, what about that woman whose heart is just like, okay, I want to be free, but what do I do with this extra 50, 70 pounds? Like, what do, what do I do? How do I reconcile all this information? Any, any advice, any wisdom? I just want to throw in that this idea that we all have, like you're talking about this earlier, like the assumptions we carry from culture has been generational. We have lived with the idea that healthy is a certain body weight. Yeah. 
And it is a lie. Mm -hmm. Not only is it a lie, it is a lie from the enemy. Hey there, Heather Creekmore here. I have a question for you. Have you read The Burden of Better yet? Let me tell you, friends, The Burden of Better is my favorite book that I've written. (laughs) There's only two of them. But anyway, it's a great book. It's all about how you can have a comparison-free life through the life of grace. And I think you'd really like it. But even more so, I think it would make a great gift for a woman in your life. So would you consider grabbing a copy of it today? It's on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, walmart.com, pretty much any place you would buy a book online, you'll find The Burden of Better, How a Comparison-Free Life Leads to Joy, Peace, and Rest. And I think there's a woman in your life who would really be blessed by this book. And hey, if you're looking for a New Year's study, consider grabbing a few friends and doing The Burden of Better together as a group study. There's scripture in every chapter. There are questions at the end. It's really set up well for you to study it with a small group of women. I think you all get a lot out of it. So check it out. You can download a free sample of the book if you've not read any of it yet on my website, comparedtoyou.me. Check it out because I want you to not just have a comparison-free Christmas, but to have a comparison-free life. So we need to come at it and come at everything that we're, we're taking in as di- from diet culture as, hey, this is spiritual warfare. This yeah. is not true. This is completely contrary to what God has created and what he says in his word. So like when we just hit pause on this idea of weight and look at it from another vantage point and see it for what it is, I think you have the conversation changes at that point. Yeah. So when we do that, Erin, when we make that shift, right, when we say, even if right now you can't believe it, right, even if right now you're like, oh, no, that is not a lie. That is science. Doctors (laughs) say that. Everybody says that. Like, you have to lose weight to be healthy. Okay. Look into health at every size. Read the intuitive eating book. Like, look into these places to see that actually that's not the science. But if you can just go with me and imagine a world where your weight does not determine your health. Like just imagine that and then think about what other things do you think impact your health? If you can let go of weight, what other things impact your health and focus on those things? Yeah, yeah, that's good. Well, because the number one contributor to disease is stress, right? I mean, that's what I've read over and over again. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I just think about how much doctors perpetuating this myth of you need to weigh this amount. Otherwise you're not healthy. Otherwise we don't like any of your numbers because this number's wrong, but the stress that imposes on someone and then just seeing family members and friends that are further along, you know, fifties, sixties, having that stress for 20, 30, 40, even 50 years of got to lose weight, got to keep the weight off, got to lose weight, got to try the next diet. And then watching them go through the, you know, restrict, binge, restrict, binge, yo-yo diet, whatever you want to call it, right? Watching them go through that and the stress that that puts on their body, you know, at the end of the day, you got to think, okay, well, wait, is the health problem coming from that extra couple pounds, 20 pounds, 30 pounds, whatever it was that they were carrying? Or is that the long-term impact of restricting and binging and restricting and binging and your body thinking 
<laughs> you're having a really rough time of it. And really it's, it's self-imposed, right? I'm, I don't know. That's some things I've been musing over. Charlie, you have something? Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely on it. They're absolutely right. There's all these other things that contribute to our health. One of the biggest being stress. And I know the three of us sitting here and probably everybody listening <laughs> knows how stressful it is to be on a diet and exercise plan and trying to do it all right and trying to change your body and um, the emotional toll of the weight roller coaster or, you know, whatever it is, is absolutely overwhelming. Yeah. I want to push it one step farther too, because for me in the last bit of my orthorexia is what I would call it. I didn't get the official diagnosis, but knowing what I know now, that's definitely what we're in, which is a unhealthy obsession with healthy eating. So I wasn't so much on the weight number as the fixation as the cleanness and what is this magical food magically doing to my health. And so I was afraid to eat certain foods because of the health implication of that. And my experience in a nutshell was that was all in my head. When I let that stress go, when I released it and surrendered it, the next day I did not have reactions to the foods. It was the fear. Mm -hmm. It was the fear of the food and the stress that was creating in my body that did all of the snowball damage to hormones, gut health, skin, energy levels, Mm -hmm. literally everything, not even mentioning the mental health uh, impact of that. So Mm -hmm. that's real. That's my story. That is my experience with food stress. And the stress of dieting and the stress of trying to do it perfectly was what was ruining my health. Not anything to do with my physical health, just yeah. the stress that I chose oh, to carry. Girl, we haven't had this conversation offline, but that's what's been happening to me for the last like three or four months. Like I shared on the show this summer that my Hashimoto's numbers were gone. My doctor was like, yeah, I wouldn't know you had Hashimoto's if this was my first yep. time to see you. And really just the last, I've, I've been walking in that with a little bit more freedom because I had that Hashimoto's numbers are gone <laughs> thing. But even before that, when I was 40, I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's and they said, you got to be gluten-free. And I was diehard gluten-free for years. I mean, if it was an ingredient in something and I didn't know about it, I didn't know about it, but sometimes I would have like a thyroid swell reaction. I knew if I had been exposed too much. Let me put it that way. And my doctor, when she's got the Hashimoto's number, she's like, yeah, you know, but if you eat a bunch of gluten, it's probably going to come back. And I was like, yeah, but I have been eating some gluten because over the last year I decided I didn't want my body to be conditioned to respond in a crazy way to gluten. I don't have celiacs. Let me just clarify that. But but so I had been eating just, you know, a little bit of bread. Like if someone had cookies that weren't gluten-free and I wanted to have one, I would have one, that kind of thing. And I haven't been having any reactions. And so when I told her that part, she was like, well, then that's really amazing. But Aaron, oh my word, like same as you, like I have gotten so many different food sensitivity tests. Like every time I see the Everly Well commercial, it's like a temptation to me. I'm like, Ooh, maybe I could find out what else I'm allergic to. And okay. Yes. I'm sure that that is helping some people somewhere, but I think for those of us that are the consummate dieters, right. The consummate body image, like got to improve it for me. Some of that food allergen sensitivity stuff was really just another pathway that I was looking for my unicorn, my miracle ticket. Like, Ooh, if I just cut out this food, then I'm going to be skinny. I have the body I've always wanted, Woo-hoo! you know? And I was like, Oh, but I can write it off as health, right? Because health, that's not 
anything bad. The Bible tells us to be healthy. Right. And so, I mean, I have this like card of the things that I shouldn't have and, oh, all these things, you guys, I've been eating according to that for years. And just the last year I've started to loosen up and I feel better. in a decade. So, and I think you're so spot on. It's the stress of that that was causing the reaction that, Oh no, I'm going to have a reaction because I just ate the bad thing, you know? And, uh, okay. But what's, what's the difference between dieting and intuitive eating? Because I hear the words intuitive eating and I know some of my friends listening are like, so I eat what I want and when I want, I already do that. And that's why I don't like my body or that's why I don't feel good. Right. So can you give me the, like, you know, the cliff notes, three minute overview of how intuitive eating and dieting are different. Yeah. I think if we, if we want to make it as simple as possible, dieting is following a list of rules outside of yourself to determine when, how, what to eat. And intuitive eating is listening to your body to determine when, how, what to eat. So intuitive eating has a set of principles, guidelines, principles, right? To to help you tune into your body and listen to it to make your food decisions. Whereas a diet is literally like a set of rules that tell you what to eat. And I would just add to that, the way we're approaching it, you know, from a faith-based perspective is we're listening to our body, which God created. Mm-hmm. which we can trust because God created it. Mm-hmm. That's a nice little layer there. That always helps me. But we're yeah. also like listening to the Holy Spirit. We're also doing everything from standing on our identity in Christ. Yep. That's a really great way to think about it. And let me just kind of throw this in. I didn't really prepare you guys for this, but so what about the concept of processed food, McDonald's additives, those kind of things mess with our chemistry, if you will. Is there a way to factor all that into the equation? Like, can I trust my body if McDonald's is putting things in my body that make me want to just have more McDonald's all the time? Like, what do I do with that? Yeah. So I'm going to attack this. (laughs) Yes. There are food scientists that work for these companies that do a lot of work to make their food very appealing, um, to make you want to come back for more. Yes, that that is true. That is happening. You might experience some of that. But I would absolutely argue that it is so much more a mindset that sends people feeling like they're addicted, like they have to come back for more, like they can't stop. Um, So even like speaking to that person that's saying, listen, I don't restrict, I just eat whatever, you know, I eat uncontrollably, whatever, I I don't restrict, that's my problem. You're actually probably restricting in your head. Mm. You might not be physically restricting, but you're telling yourself that you should be, that you need to be restricting, that you need to eat less, that you shouldn't eat the McDonald's, that you shouldn't have the Doritos. And that really drives this compulsion this I'm going to eat more it's it's just like hey I'm going to enjoy the holidays I'm going to eat whatever I want and January 1 I'm going on this diet just that thought leads you to overeat 
eat to the point of feeling so uncomfortable, eat to the point of being sick, because you have this planned restriction in your head. I'm not going to be able to have this stuff anymore, so I'm going to get it all right now. I would say those are the things that really lead people to overindulge more so than the food scientists trying to make their food appetizing. Yeah, it might make it appetizing, but when you're truly intuitive eating, I really don't think that it affects you as people think that it does. What do you think, Erin? I agree with that. And I would say this is something that I had to test out and experiment on in my quote honeymoon phase, like we like to describe it. You know, when you take the rules away, what do you eat? Sure, you're going to eat McDonald's for a little bit because you know, it's special and you haven't had it and you want to enjoy it. But if you're actually listening to your body on like day two or three of that, your body's going to talk to you. It's going to be like, okay, um, we're feeling, we're feeling a little not so hot. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We need some variety. We need something else. We need a different kind of food. And that's the thing that you wouldn't believe if you hadn't reestablished a connection with your body and listening to it and that um, interoceptive awareness of, I know what's going on in my body. I can tell what cues mean what, and that that's a skill that you have to cultivate. And so, yes, you don't have that coming off of dieting because dieting has taught you to squash all that down, ignore it because it breaks the rules. So, you know, the concern over the hyper flavorful foods and all the, the wacky stuff that they are engineering. And I just want to point out, somebody's engineering food to take your money and like make you go crazy around food. Like, hello, spiritual warfare. <laughs> like, right. This is a problem. Um, when you let your body do the leading with that, you wouldn't stay there. You wouldn't, it, it wouldn't let you. Cause it's not, yeah. I mean, you wouldn't eat the same thing every day, regardless of whether it's McDonald's or chocolate cake or like a salad, you wouldn't do that. It's not, you need variety. Right. You get, yeah. you get burnout. I mean, yeah. how many days after the Thanksgiving leftovers do the Thanksgiving leftovers no longer taste good? I mean, yes. you know, like that first meal after it's like, Oh, this was so good. And then the second one, you're like, yeah. And by the third time you're like, can someone, no, we're just, we need to eat something else. <laughs> like, I'm yeah. so sick of sweet potatoes and turkey. Right. I mean, yeah. that's so, the way it works. God. Elise Rush and Evelyn Triboli and intuitive eating talk about this as the habituation mm-hmm. effect. If you have something over and over and over again, it like loses its excitement and you kind of, you, you get over it. So yeah, if you've been restricting mentally or physically, when you allow yourself to have those things, you're probably going to go through a honeymoon phase of like really eating them a lot, but you get tired of it and your body starts to crave other things and you find a balance. And, you know, the only way to really, know that is to go through it and experience it. Yeah. Yeah. But candy, that sounds scary when we're talking candy. And that's what (laughs) I talked to Dr. Stephanie Reinold about. And she was throwing out crazy stuff. Like just let your kids have candy whenever they want. And I know people listening were like, oh no, that's not going to happen in my house. No way. That's too unhealthy. Their teeth will fall out. Um, there are so many myths and lies and thought processes around candy that, you know, just no one questions, right? Like you just, you have to keep your kids healthy. You have to keep them away from candy. The food police, that's what intuitive eating would call it. I mean, I was calling it that before I read the intuitive eating book because (laughs) 
could hear the sirens going off, right? Like, oh no, I can't eat that. They can't eat that. What did you guys think about that interview? Oh, I loved it. She nailed it. And um, I really appreciated her wisdom on the parenting front. I, I don't have children yet, so I, can, I don't get to speak into that part. But I know my experience with it as a kid, you go to the forbidden fruit, like you go to it. Adult, adults do it too. Everybody knows what I'm talking about when I describe it that way. And when something isn't forbidden, then a lot of the appeal goes away. And just children too, if we don't get in the way, uh, children are... They're born intuitive eaters. We all are. And they have the most connection to that in their innocence and in their youth. Yeah. And they haven't been poisoned by this culture of death yet. So yeah. they, they can handle their business. Yeah. So I have this like, <laughs> my poor child, this makes him sound like a science experiment. <laughs> but we, my husband and I live with his aunt and uncle and uh, my mother-in-law is very close by so he has grown up with like five adults all the time basically like there's five adults in the room at dinner all the time and everybody knows that Charlie has very strong feelings (laughs) about eating and etc but stuff comes out sometimes like Jack finish all your food then we can have dessert he hears all these things from Um, his cousins he hears all these things all around and on the nights that he's hearing that from someone it's like this battle he doesn't want to eat his food he'll eat the dessert till it's gone I've noticed this on the nights that he doesn't hear that on the nights when like everybody looks at me and rolls their eyes like I'm crazy because I put the brownie on his dinner plate with his meat (laughs) and vegetables he eats all of it He'll, he'll eat part of the brownie. He'll eat part of the veggies, part of the meat. Um, it's, it's like not a big deal because it's all equal. It's all the same. He knows he can have however much that he wants. Like I see this all the time in my house. Just yesterday, I made him an ice cream cone. He asked for an ice cream cone. Sure, no big deal. I made him an ice cream cone. He ate about half of it, said he was done, threw it in the trash and moved on. Oh, there was no no qualms because he knows he can have it and it's like not a big deal. He's not emotionally attached to it. I mean, I know women yeah. that if like part of their ice cream cone fell on the ground and it might be me when I'm talking about women, like I might have an emotional moment where I would be really sad about losing that half an ice cream cone, or I would certainly finish it. Right. Because this was going to be my splurge. So I'm going to yeah. have an ice cream cone. I'm going to have, like, I'm going to be licking <laughs> the, yeah. the tip of that drumstick, right? Like, you know, I'm not missing a crumb of that ice cream cone because this is my splurge now, it, you know, these splurge that will be followed by another splurge, another splurge, another splurge because of that restricting mentality. Right. But yeah, that's, that's so interesting. So as we wrap up this episode, I'll just share quickly. My kids got a bunch of Halloween candy this year, as I suspected they would. And it's interesting. I, this is the first year we've been completely hands-off. Okay. And they're a little older now. My youngest is 10, but I coached my husband. I'm like, we're not saying anything. We're not doing anything. We're just, it's just, it is what it is. And they probably ate a little too much on Halloween night, but it was interesting to watch them self-regulate. We're like, oh, I don't really think I want any more. And then like the next like five days, and they were coming from a background of, we know there's at any moment, dad might say candy's going away or mom and dad might eat it and it might not be there. Like those kind of things. There still were like a month out of Halloween almost, and they're still 
candy in yep. our pantry yep. setting there for anyone to take. And Same. I would say probably half of it's left. Yeah. So it, it really did work in a way that absolutely surprised me. And honestly, for me, I was just trying to have a free spirit, an intuitive eating spirit about me. And I tried to eat the ones I liked, which yeah. is new for me because normally it would just be like, well, if I eat ones I don't like, then I won't get addicted to it or something. One of those kind of thought patterns. Right. And I really don't feel like I overdid it. I may have overdone it the next day because mm-hmm. I, I'm still working some things out, <laughs> but, but it was uh, it was an interesting experiment. Okay, guys, we have so much more to talk about, and we're going to talk about that in the next episode. So thanks for being on. And if you're listening or watching, come back. Part two is going to be amazing. We've got three more interviews to talk about all things intuitive eating, how our body image and intuitive eating kind of go together, how we can heal these issues if we think about both sides of the equation. So come back for more in the next episode. That's all for today. Hope something in today's episode has helped you stop comparing and start living. Bye-bye. Hey friend, would you check out the date on that episode you just listened to? Yeah, it's been a minute. Listening to old podcasts is almost like reading my diary from several years ago. In some cases, it's even a little embarrassing. So instead of listening straight through season by season, can I encourage you to skip ahead? I release brand new episodes every Tuesday and Friday. And if you're not sure where to start, you can go to improvebodyimage.com, find the start here button, and I've got several episodes listed and categorized so you can find the topics that are of most interest to you. Your time is valuable, so skip straight to the good stuff. I'm glad you're here. Thanks for letting me be a part of your body image and food freedom journey. Everyone wants to change the world. Capital Ministries is doing just that, one heart at a time by creating disciples of Jesus Christ among political leaders in the U.S. and foreign nations. For more than 25 years, founder Ralph Drawlinger has written Bible studies specifically for public servants. Study along with us and learn what the Bible says about capitalism, communism, abortion, same-sex marriage, and other contemporary issues. Subscribe and follow us at lifeaudio.com or search Capital Ministries on your favorite podcast platform.